A Fifth Circuit panel strikes down the domestic violence restraining order gun prohibition. Plus, Monster Hunter International author Larry Correa on his new book, Defending the Second Amendment. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski. I'm also the founder of TheReload.com, where you can head over and sign up for our free weekly newsletter if you want to keep up to date with what's going on with guns in America. Um, You can also buy a membership if you want to get even more insight into the issue and have access to hundreds of exclusive pieces of content that you won't find anywhere else. And get this podcast a day early, as well as the opportunity to appear on the show in a member segment. This week, we're doing something a little bit different. We uh, have a well-known, best-selling author on with us to talk about his latest book. We have uh, author Larry Correa of the Monster Hunter uh, series, who's now written a Second Amendment book in defense of the Second Amendment. Welcome to the show, Larry. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Can you just tell people a little bit uh, more about yourself and your history before we get going? Yeah, uh, I actually have kind of an interesting background. I uh, I, I came up, um, I'm, I'm pretty famous as a writer, as a novelist, uh, writing science fiction and fantasy novels. I've got a bunch of different series, uh, 25 uh, books I've written now, um, all over the world, various languages, you know, really popular, won awards. I'm a New York Times bestseller. Uh, yep. Or it used to be. I, they take that away from me now if they could, <laughs> now that they know who I am. Um, but I, I, uh, I'm a pretty popular fiction writer. However, before that, I was actually in the gun business. I was um, I was uh, a gun store owner. I was an SOT, so I did machine guns, suppressors, that kind of thing. I uh, was a firearms instructor. I did a lot of different things on that. I was a concealed weapons instructor for many years uh, in the state of Utah. Uh, very busy. I uh, did that. I, I certified thousands of people to, to carry guns in Utah. I am um, a former competition guy. I used to shoot a lot of three gun. Three gun was my primary mm. sport, but I, I dabbled fun. in, uh, you know, I did a lot of IDPA too, but I did a little USPSA and that kind of thing. And I played with everything and I, I was okay. <laughs> but I'm a huge gun nut. Um, now that I'm a full-time writer, I've been doing this for 12 years. I uh, was approached by uh, Regnery. Uh, a nonfiction publisher because they wanted to do a definitive guide to the second amendment mm-hmm. and kind of like, well, when I say definitive guide, not, not like a historical one, but more like a, a handy dandy Bible for people who are debating this subject. So they wanted to have a book that was like arm, uh, arm people with good facts, good arguments, a book that you could give to fence setters or fence sitters, help them along, give you guys the good arguments, give you guys lots of stats and sites and explain the laws and how this stuff works. And they needed someone who was a good writer first and a hardcore gun guy second. Um, mm-hmm. And they knew me from editing some of my other books of, of fiction. And they said, hey, we got the perfect guy. He eats, sleeps, lives, and breathes guns. <laughs> That's what he does. And uh, they asked me to write this book. And it came out fantastic. I, I, I'm really proud of it. came out last week. It was released. It's uh, doing extremely well. Um, the numbers on the pre-order were fantastic. Um, so I'm very excited, and it seems uh, what people are saying, they're really liking it. It's helping them out. So I'm, I'm just hoping this book will help move the needle on the debate a little bit. It's a subject I've been really passionate about for my whole life, and so getting a chance to put my my skill sets as a writer to to helping defend the Second Amendment, then I, I just hope this helps helps the debate. Yeah, and I read the book uh, in the lead up to this interview here. I also 
uh, listened to Monster Hunter International, which is your very first published uh, work and uh, one of your most famous, right? Uh, and uh, I actually, frankly, I enjoyed both of them quite a lot. And I think that the history you just described there really does come through in both books. Um, your experience with firearms is clear, right? You know, I'm, I'm a certified instructor as well. Um, I've done very small amount of competitive shooting. I like to, I own a lot of guns. I like to build ARs and so forth. Oh yeah. Uh, similar background to you. I was never a dealer though. So you definitely have a, uh, you know, a hand up on that. And, it's and not I think fun. That the, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I never had to deal. I only have to deal with the press people at the ATF. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't envy, uh, you guys having to deal with the compliance people. Um, especially in with what's going on recently. We just talked about on the last episode of the podcast uh, with, with bearing arms, Cam Edwards, but, uh, but yeah, and I, like, I think that knowledge really does come through in both of these aspects of your writing career. And I think it really improves both books. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of <laughs> um, fiction books that talk, that deal with firearms and movies and TV and anyone who knows about guns and has experience with guns knows that 90 99% of them are laughably bad when it comes to the gunplay and to what's, you know, what happens with shootouts and so forth. And even yeah. though your books are about hunting monsters, literally, uh, the gunplay is extremely realistic in it. And yeah. the, the, the way you talk about firearms, the way you talk about shooting, the way you talk about training, all of that uh, experience that you have really does come through in those books. And I would say for this new book, which is nonfiction, of course, um, it, it comes through there as well. You're very knowledgeable. You're very up to date as well, I would say, on what's going on with gun politics in America. And, um, you know, I, I read this book and I think there's like two people that I could really see this book being for. Right. Well, the first one is, uh, as you described there, like the uh, somebody who uh, is into guns, perhaps knows about, you know, knows the political noise around them, but wants to be a bit more knowledgeable on the debate and the details of it and the the sort of the best pro-gun arguments f that are out there. Uh, those, that, that's certainly contained in this book. I think, you know, somebody who is, who's a gun owner who wants to get a little more up to speed on, uh, you know, the political debate is going to get a lot out of this book. And is probably going to really agree with it, you know, because the the perspective comes through too, right? As the as a pro gun person who's been doing this for uh, decades, long time, uh, yeah. At this point, uh, you know, obviously your perspective is is shines through in a lot of this. And you know, the second person I think that it's for is somebody who wants to understand that. Maybe they don't agree. Maybe they're on the other side, um, but they want to understand as best as possible, the arguments that uh, you know, pro-gun people really believe in. And then that's where, you know, I, I would recommend a book like this to, to somebody like that. If they can get through like the, uh, the, um, the pro-gun perspective, you know, yeah. it reminds me a lot of um, Kevin Williamson. He's a writer for, uh, was for National Review. I think he's at the Dispatch now. Uh, he's written prolifically. He's out there. He writes about guns from time to time, and he can be very sardonic, and and uh, you know, like he's very uh, uh, secure in his uh, point of view, 
right? Just as you are in your writing, huh. uh, very passionate about it. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Well, I think on that note, it's actually I'm I I I'm a, I, I write comedy novels too. I write I actually mm-hmm. have a comedy series, and so I, and I put a lot of comedy into like my regular books. So for me, writing a nonfiction book, it would be impossible for me to write a book that was like a hundred percent academic, right. straight down the line, serious. I even said that. And it probably wouldn't be as interesting to read either, to be frank. Yeah. I was trying to do something that could be entertaining for people too. Because honestly, Mm -hmm. like people who are already on our side, they're going to love the book. And and some of my reviews are showing that. People who believe in guns, they're like, yeah, this is how I feel. This this says what I want to say. You know, this speaks for me. And that's cool. But now getting to like to to regular people who are just kind of like on the fence. You know, part of the thing is I I wanted to kind of use my writer skills, I guess, to, to hook them and to, and to kind of tell the story of the second amendment in the U S and how it works. And when I get into current events, I don't hold anything back. I don't go cold and analytical. Uh, I, I get, I go in there, you know, swinging. I, I, I tell people, this is how it is. This is how it is logically. This is how it is emotionally. This is how we react to this stuff. Um, and I use tons of examples, uh, real life examples. I cite everything. I've got you know, 13 yeah. pages of small print sites for every, every incident I talk about is in this book. Very um, true. But I just wanted to write it in a way so people understand. It's like I, I opened the book actually talking about like the visceral aftermath on the news when we when we see some horrible thing happen on the news. And then I talk about kind of like the, the worst people um, who use that uh, to their advantage to to twist uh, and twist people's emotions and to try to push for, for uh, more gun control, regardless of what actually happened. Facts be damned. And uh, that's what I opened with. And it's kind of raw, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. honest. Um, but then I, I get into I get into the book. I, I try to talk about every single argument they throw at us, every point that I could think of going back for 30 years. It's very comprehensive in that in that regard. It, it absolutely is. There is the whole section on do somethings, right? People always say after a mass shooting, you need to do something. And so you do go through effectively every significant suggestion there is from the more uh, from the, the lighter policies all the way through to full on gun confiscation. And you explain, I think, in pretty plain terms with a lot of uh, sourcing why that's not a good idea, why each of these policies won't do what they intend or their half measures or that that will, uh, you know, have less of an effect on the people they actually want to affect and more of an effect on law abiding gun owners. And uh, this is extremely thorough in that regard. Um, and I would say like, uh, to the Kevin Williamson comparison, he wrote a piece a while back, uh, where he essentially edited a, uh, a news report that was about firearms and it was poorly done report. And so he went through and he was not kind about it, right? He was very, uh, um, straightforward and, um, made all of the remarks that he would have made if he was editing the piece itself. Uh, and it's something that probably would have turned off some some of the people like people who wrote the actual news story or edited it before it was published probably wouldn't like that piece. But if they could get through the the part where he's uh, frankly righteously indignatious about how many mistakes there are, there's so much to actually learn from that. You know, because it's not, and this is where I see the parallel to your book because. These you're not throwing out a bunch of straw men arguments. You're not throwing out like 
just it's the second amendment it's my right i don't care about what you're arguing what you're saying you actually go through and engage with these arguments and give the countervailing view like give give the reasons why you don't think that they make sense and don't work um and it's something that uh, you know you're not shy about it people who agree with you are going to really like this book uh, but i think people who don't agree with you will get value out of it as well if they if they can get uh you know pick it up and read it I've actually found it's really interesting because I divide the anti-gun camp into basically two groups in the book, just for simplicity's mm -hmm. sake. I know people are far more complicated than just that. But when you think about it, there's there's basically there's regular people who want to do something to stop violent crime. They want to stop murders. They want to stop killings. And they've been told that if we just control guns, we can do that. They've been they've been given this promise their whole life. They've been told that 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 you know ban guns, shootings won't happen anymore. Take handguns off the streets, criminals won't shoot people. Uh, take away assault weapons, and there won't be mass shootings anymore. So on and so forth, whatever it is. But they've been they've been sold this bill of gold goods their whole life, and that's one group that I can reach because I can say, okay, look, this is what you believe, and this is why you believe it, and 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 I get that. However. Let's go into what actually happens. Let's go into the reality. Let's go into the logic. Let's go into the logistics. Let's go into the history. Let's look at other states that have done it. Let's look at other countries that have done it. And this is what actually happens. So that first group I, I have hope for, and I have over the years, I have actually you know, had people change their mind uh, on, on the gun debate because they, need, they got better information or reality smacked them in the face. And all of a sudden they're like, wow, okay, I, I do need self-defense. But then there's the other group, the smaller group that I, I don't have any hopes of converting. Um, and that's the ones that in the book I would talk about the vultures, right? about the, 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 the vulture chapter. And I use vultures because that's the, the nicest term that the publisher would let me, the lawyers would let me use. Um, but I say vultures because they're perched and they're waiting for carnage. They're waiting for death. And as soon as there's blood, they swoop right in and they are on it. And it doesn't matter what actually happened. It doesn't matter the reality of the case. It doesn't matter the facts of the case. They will argue immediately while emotions are high to, to get whatever they want. And I, I go into that a lot. And, and that's the part really where honestly, my I think no matter how good of a writer I am, my personal disdain is going to come through. Um, well, I'm sure you're not the only person who feels that way. About, that's yeah. what I mean. Like people who agree with, with you and, and who've noticed that sort of activists that exists out there. Um, I mean, yeah, they're, they're going to enjoy reading that chapter because well, they're they putting into words the way they feel about uh, this certain section of uh, sort of people who operate in bad faith. Yeah. Well, because uh, the first group yeah. of honest people who just are, are don't know any better, they actually read stuff like that and it puts it for the first time in their lives. You're like, oh, wow. So this is this, this I'm now in the gun guy's shoes. I'm not looking at it from the perspective of this guy and how they feel about this and what they want to do. And, and it's one way to actually reach that first group is you got, is you hook them and you say, okay, look, this is because a lot of times too often we have this, this argument and it's like you, you're fighting and we always try to go facts, 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 academic, cold, hard stats versus emotion. And we're just beating them over the head, but that's not how human brains work. And, and so a lot, if you have a person who's, wired emotionally you're not going to sway them with that so that's why i come at this kind of as, an, as a narrative kind of thing it's like look this is this is i so here's the thing because logically we win uh emotionally they win but it doesn't have to be that way 
um, because there's some fundamental basic truths that resonate with people that we have on our side. And that's self-defense is a human right. And the, the state can't come and save you. And this is emotional stuff. And so it's one thing is like, I'm trying to get that out there and, and try to, like, like I said, help hopefully sway some people or hopefully, you know, I, I have friends that like, I, I use an example, a good friend of mine, he, he wants to have a gun in the house uh, for home defense and his wife won't let him. I mean, we've all heard that story before, right? You know? And so I'm writing a book for guys like that, you know, give, give, read this, give this to your wife and, and hopefully, you know, make a dent in that. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the big cores of the overarching argument in the book, right, is this idea that guns are, you know, you, you go through all of the the sort of smaller step policies and you talk about the pros and cons of those and why why you don't think they'll work, like universal background checks or, uh, you know, the, you talk about the gun show loophole, you talk basically everything, you know, assault weapons bans, everything that people bring up. Uh, you have a, a, a section on in this book. It really is pretty comprehensive. Uh, but I feel like it builds towards this basic idea of, uh, all right, well, down the line to, to the very end of this, uh, if you go all the way down the slippery slope, right, we're getting to a point of guns are inherently bad. Uh, just their existence is bad. And ultimately, people want to try to just remove their existence as sort of the, the, the end goal for some activists made this calculation and your overarching argument is that's not true, right? That if you look at the estimates for how often guns are used for self-defense versus how often they're used for criminal acts, you actually see that guns are used more often in the United States for self-defense than they are for criminal acts. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I feel like it's sort of the key linchpin that holds together a lot of what this book is arguing. Yeah, basically it's like, uh, it's a net good. Um, and so what I do is I go through and I, because they always like to cherry pick stats out of context and throw them at us. What I try to do is I try to look at the whole picture. They say, okay, we have X number of murders. We have X number of suicides. We have X number of gun crimes. Therefore, guns are bad. It's like, wait a second, though, but what you just you just had half the equation here. What about defensive gun uses? Uh, and so I cite a whole bunch of different works. And we actually I found about 14 different studies um, that tried to estimate how often guns are used uh, in self-defense. And the problem with estimating this is the vast majority of the time there's no shots fired. But, you know, there's been a lot of good work done on this. I, I cite John Lott. Uh, extensive, extensively in this chapter because he's done a lot of work on this. He's an economist. Um, I'm sure most of your regular viewers know him. Um, yeah. But I go through and I, I, I compare these things. And when you actually make it an apples and apples comparison, um, defensive gun use is a huge net win. So even if you take the lowest possible estimated numbers from the people who actually absolutely hate guns, they hate guns, they want guns off the street, and they will lie, cheat, and steal to accomplish their goals, they say, you know, there's this many uh, defensive gun uses. Well, murders are still down here. Crime, gun crimes, shootings, still down here. So, so, but then if you take the other studies, like the more honest studies, the, the regular studies, and you average them out, the actual number is orders of magnitude greater. Because basically in our, in our giant, vast, diverse country, you know, we'll get a quarter of a billion people spread out over thousands, of, or a third of a billion people spread out over thousands of miles. 
Every single day in America, there are events where bad people try to do something and a good guy with a gun stops them. And most of the time, no shots are fired. And, and in the book, I cite some personal incidences I've had in my life and uh, an event that happened to my wife. Um, you know, neither one is a thing that shows up as a, uh, you know, the shooting because we didn't shoot anybody. Just having the gun, producing the gun was enough to stop the situation because the bad guy said, I, I don't want to get shot. I'm going to go elsewhere. And so, yeah, I crunched the numbers on this. And so the, I'd say probably the two, I, I used to be a military contractor, but I was an accountant. I was a military contract accountant. So I'm a writer, but I don't shy away from numbers and stats. <laughs> you know, that's, I enjoy that stuff. I love that stuff. I find it fascinating. Um, I go into a lot of the, um, the stuff, the stats they use. I show where they come from and how they've been twisted. I go into a lot of the common uh, statistical myths they have. One section I really like is where they go through and they talk about America as a country with a gun problem. It's always the gun problem. And they'll compare America to all these other countries. Mm -hmm. But if you actually delve into it and you look at the countries that they compare America to, A, they almost always compare us to something that's not in any way, shape, or form the same. It's like, okay, you have more gun crime per capita than Denmark. Okay, Denmark is a perfectly homogenous Nordic nation that has the population of Los Angeles County. You know? Right. It, it, but they don't compare America to any cultural or historical analogs. And then when they do, they only go guns, but they always leave out violence. So I look at England, I look at Australia, and, uh, okay, so we have less shootings, uh, but then let's get into murders, stabbings, rape, assault, property crime. And all of a sudden, the story changes. Um, and then on the shootings thing, it's actually interesting. Well, another thing I discovered is on the stats that other countries lie their butts off. Because um, I'm going through these stats from various countries about how violent they are. And, and, like, and they always like to say, this, well, America is the 79th most dangerous country in America, or I'm sorry, 79th most dangerous country in the world. But then you start looking at some of the countries that are ahead of us as being safer. And uh, like, you know, uh, Sierra Leone <laughs> is safer than us. Honduras is safer than us. And I'm like, hmm, I'm, I'm a little suspicious of some of these numbers. And then it's got stuff like China, uh, you know, the, the giant nation of China with a billion people has no murders. No one, no one ever gets murdered in China. It, it was fascinating to look at the numbers. Like, oh, China, the whole entire nation of China, it's such a peaceful place that no one, no one ever gets killed there. And so, so yes, international statistics are always, a, <laughs> always going to be pretty questionable to some degree, right? Even, even among peer nations, right? <clears throat> yep. uh, you know, high, high income nations, you can still get wildly different ways of measuring. And then you talk about this in the book to your credit, uh, there's wildly different ways of measuring each one of these kinds of crimes. Uh, and so it does make it fairly difficult to, to compare, but, but well, I think at, that, what point at the end of the day, there is like some of them, it's like, well, we didn't convict anybody. So it doesn't count. Mm -hmm. Well, right. somebody still got murdered. Yeah. But we didn't, right. we didn't arrest anybody. So it's not a stat. Mm. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. And at the end of the day, I think even, even with all that mess, it's still clear, you know, there's sort of this, uh, oftentimes in the gun debate, you get these very stark, claims about you know more guns equals more crime and you know if that were true the united states would be by far the most violent nation in the entire world because we have far more firearms than anyone else by a, by a long stretch not it's not like oh yeah close the american public has more guns than uh you know the world's militaries combined <laughs> so, i've done my part 
<laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, you know, I think that's a very valid point there on, on, you know, looking at these statistics and, and the book goes into a lot of this in more detail too. Obviously, you know, you're not going to solve everything or settle every debate through this sort of stuff. But I think that your book makes, uh, the, the best argument, uh, articulates some of these, uh, best arguments out there for, uh, you know, the, the, the gun rights, um, movement. Like there's a lot of the best arguments that I've heard over the years as somebody who, who covers this. Um, and a lot of the arguments I've made myself are in that book are in the book. Like that's, it really is a pretty great primer for this whole debate, uh, from the pro gun point of view. Like, and, and then even beyond that too, uh, just to get into some of the, cause it's not just, you know, you go through a big chunk of the book is about like the do some things and what the responses to them are. And, uh, you know, the, the positive case for gun ownership and why it's a, why it's a, a good thing and not a negative thing, uh, overall. And, uh, but then you get into also some of the, the, you know, advice for, for new gun owners or people who are looking to get into, more gun activism, perhaps, uh, and you, you talk in a way that uh, really your your firearm safety trainer really comes through. I think. Um, yeah, I couldn't help. I couldn't help but do that. <laughs> and uh, which is a good thing, you know, because again, there's so much out there, even in the gun, you know, the 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 gun tuber world or the the gun industry, whatever you want to call it, like gun media. That's not very well informed. Yeah, there's a lot and of so bad advice out like there. This, unfortunately, it's, it's actually pretty good. I, I one of the one of the things I actually was a, a chapter that I think was really important is I went through and I had a for um, a, a section on use of force um, and yep. when it's legal to shoot people and how that works. And honestly, that was one. It was based on an article that I did several years ago. It was an aftermath of some shooting uh, where the police had shot somebody. And there's a lot of confusion out there because people see a shooting. Mm-hmm. And they'll, they'll have a knee-jerk, visceral reaction on whether that was justified or not. Whereas the, the gun guys, you know, regardless of whether it was good or bad, I'm leaving good or bad aside. I'm just talking legal. Right. We would watch it and go, ah, that guy's going to get off. That, that guy's going to yeah. be acquitted. You know, that's that's unless the jury is nuts. That according to the laws, that guy's getting off. And people will get mad at us. And I'll be like, how dare you? He's like, no, I'm not making any value judgment on anybody involved here. I'm just telling you how the laws work. And so I. Right. Yeah, I, I you, like you went through and, and described. That one. Yeah, and I thought you did a great job with it as well. You know, obviously you're not you make it clear you're not giving legal advice in the states have differing laws on this, you know. Uh, and sometimes a very famous event can happen in a state that has a pretty unique law like uh uh was in Missouri, I believe it was with the the couple that, that uh you know, the the BLM protests came by and they were you know, and and Missouri happens to have a very very broad protections for uh you know, defending your property yep. uh, that aren't really applicable in the vast majority of other states. Uh, and so it's sort of, a, you have to know every law, you know, you got to understand for yourself what your local and state laws are where you are. But this does give a really good primer of like use of force rules, which are fairly universal, um, you know, with some some small distinctions here and there. And, uh, and also, you know, I thought it gave uh, not just like, oh, here's, uh, you know, how you can when you can legally shoot somebody, but it also does talk a little, you, there was uh, what the three, the, you had three, the three factors, right? And, yeah. And, uh, uh, the legal use of force. Legal, moral, one of and those tactical. Two, three. Yeah. Legal, moral, and tactical. And so that, that, and that's important uh, distinction. It's an important reality too, because 
you know, a lot of people look at, uh, you know, I do the active self-protection podcast and that whole channel is about analyzing self-defense encounters and, you know, talking through mostly it's the tactical side of it, right? You know, how this encounter went, what we can learn from it in case we're ever in an encounter like that. But they, you know, they also talk about the legal and the moral because a lot of people, you know, you get caught up on just the legal side of it. And there's other factors to consider, especially if you're ever going to be in a situation like that, which, as you say in the book, hopefully you never are. Yeah, I actually plug active self-protection in the book, too, because I think they're such a great resource and such Mm -hmm. a treasure trove of videos because there's so many misconceptions about out there in the world about how violence actually works and how shootings work and how all the stuff unfolds. I think when people actually watch security camera videos of stuff, it changes a lot lot of perceptions. There's a lot of misconceptions. On both sides, uh, the pro-gun side, there's a lot of misconceptions, uh, and then also on the anti-gun side of how this stuff works. A lot of us yeah. on our side, unfortunately, will get an unrealistic view of, oh, well, if this happens, I'll just do this and this. Well, I'll just pull my gun and they'll run away. That's yeah, I'll, all. I'll just pop yeah. my shotgun and they'll get scared and run away. It's like, well, what yeah. what if they don't? Not always. <laughs> yeah, not always. Yeah, it's not. You don't want to, or like even sort of a, oh, gosh, I wish I could defend. Yeah, I, w- I wish I was in the situation to become a hero or something. And it's like, you probably don't in real life. You probably don't. That's one of the things you, that's one of the things I learned from, you know, listening to the episodes of active self-protection where people describe being in these circumstances. And even when they're the, the, they're the winner and they were, did the moral thing. Like, it's not, it's not fun. It's not a good thing. Yeah. You don't feel like a great. <laughs> and depending on where it time, is, it's not, it's not it could very well be a experience. very lengthy and expensive uh, legal process afterwards, mm-hmm. depending on the situation. I mean, sometimes mm-hmm. not. Sometimes it is. It's one of those. Yeah, it totally depends. Yeah. And you can't know going into it either. Yeah, you'll you know, don't know the character. Know. I mean, like we, I, I talked in the book, I, I talked a little about the Rittenhouse trial just because that was mm-hmm. such a big pivotal one that so many eyes were on because at some point, that kid kind of became the uh, the avatar for every person that's ever thought, oh, I'm going to have to shoot uh, bad people doing bad things. And then you're going to, and he got rung through a ringer by a uh, rather incompetent um, <laughs> prosecution. But it was, um, it was, it was an absurd process. But I mean, you look at that and the, this fact, this guy spent a year and that was, that was rush. I mean, otherwise um, a lot of these can go on for, a very long time. So I, I think it's funny in a book. I have some of my detractors like, well, Larry's just a bloodthirsty gun nut who wants people to get shot in the streets. Anybody who's read the book knows I spent a good portion of the, of the book talking about why you should avoid shooting people whenever humanly possible. Yep. And it's the only, I mean, you shoot people when that's the only choice or the last best choice you have. Um, right. I spend most of the book talking about deterrence and uh, avoidance rather than actively shooting people. But Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have to shoot people, by golly, you better be good at it, you know, and know what you're doing. And I try to hit all these points. So I'm, I'm actually the opposite of bloodthirsty. Uh, Everything I'm writing about is I'm trying to like, uh, the whole purpose of this for me is I'm trying to keep people safer. Uh, I don't want people to get hurt. I want people to be able to protect themselves from bad actors. Um, So yeah, it's, it's not. It's not oftentimes like uh, I. I got uh, a deluge of one-star reviews from people before the book ever came out um, on places like Goodreads, with people describing what the book is in. And I was like, "Well, that's fascinating that you're telling me what's in the books, and the only people who've seen it so far are me and the editor." <laughs> <laughs> of course, a lot of us. Well, you've had to deal with that your entire career now. Um, oh gosh, that, that yeah, sort of yeah. Backlash. Yeah, that's pretty much. I am a openly spo- outspoken. Um, 
uh, registered Republican. I'm, I'm pretty conservative. I'm a little, I'm kind of libertarian on a lot of things, but, uh, I am that in an industry that is overwhelmingly 99.9% left mm. and is based almost entirely out of Manhattan. So, yeah. And I'm I, like, I'll be honest too. I, you know, I, uh, before I'd read the books or, uh, you know, I knew who you were, but didn't know a ton about your background. And, and so I was, when, when, uh, the, the book agent reached out to, to see if you, uh, if I'd be willing to have you on the show, I was like, all right, cool. You know, uh, I should read his books and I should look into him. And then there's, oh, well, he's been protested at this convention or whatever. And Always. and I tried to look into like, OK, was there something here? Like, is there what is it that these people are upset about? Why is he supposed to be such a bad guy? And it was definitely one of those situations where there was a lot of talk about how you're a really bad guy, but not any real examples of things that you had said yeah. or done that actually make you. Uh, like a bad person. I mean, you see this happen, frankly, too often. Uh, you know, there are people who are bad, nasty people that I wouldn't want to have on my show. Uh, well, you say racist stuff or do bad things. Uh, in, but usually, you can, if that's the case, there's actual examples of it. Whereas there's this other phenomenon that happens where people don't like you because you have, you know, how you, uh, you, you hold certain beliefs that are more mainstream, that are like, pretty straightforward conservative pro-gun beliefs uh and so they don't like that and then they try to pretend that you're this other kind of person yeah. who's untouchable they, we have a and running it seems joke like that's happened a lot with you yes yeah, so we have a running joke for about the last 10 years me and my fan there's larry and there's straw larry uh now straw larry is the worst guy ever this guy is a monster um regular larry is pretty boring i'm just Kind of normal, but it's a it's kind of a running joke my 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 ultimate sin is uh i got famous of writing books while not having the right politics. And it's funny because my politics are basically half of America. Uh, I'm not an oddity. I don't hold any like bizarre beliefs. I'm a pretty normal uh, guy, honestly, by most of America's standards. I, well, I mean, if I'm in Texas or Florida or Oklahoma, you know, uh, I'm a normal dude. My mm -hmm. problem is I'm in an industry that's in Manhattan and Berkeley <laughs> and where I'm the one wild red state Republican they keep in a cage and they poke sticks through to see if I'll react. Um, right. But yeah, because yeah, I, I read the book, right? And I got to this section that we're talking about here about, you know, use of force. And if you were, some, you know, there, there's people who play that character out there of just like, if it's legal to shoot them, you should just shoot them and be glad that you got the opportunity or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and that's not at all your perspective on this. You've, the, like, again, the firearms instructor in you definitely comes out in this part of the book where you're describing like, yeah, it, it may be legal for you to do this. And I might I might be out there advocating that, uh, you know, that we have these legal protections, but uh, it doesn't mean that you should do it. You should always try to avoid whenever possible getting into deadly force confrontations, because even, you know, maybe it works out well for you too. <laughs> like there's also just a sort of strategic idea to it. You don't, it's like, you know, yeah. don't go stupid. Uh, places with stupid people at stupid times. The John Farnham's rules. You know, the that's uh, very much your ethos that comes through in here. It's not like oh, go, find an excuse to be able to legally shoot people. That's yeah. not at all what this book is. No, saying. the opposite. There, there, there's a lot of chest beaters out there where it's like the kill them all, let God sort them out kind of thing. Right. It's like no, no, that's not realistic. And I get these people who are very cocky and like, well, I'm just going to shoot him because you know he's a bad guy and he stole from me. He stole my TV. Okay, dude. 
unless that's a uh, that TV's made of solid gold, you're going to spend way more time in court on on lawyers than your TV is worth. And so if you can just like solve the situation, I mean, and don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm condensing a lot of stuff down here. Yeah. If, the, if the bad guy has entered your home and is demonstrating that he is a threat to you and others, and he's got the ability and an opportunity to hurt you, and he's acting like he's going to hurt you, shoot him. By all means, shoot that guy. He needs shooting right now. Do it. And make sure you know how to do it accurately and fast. Mm-hmm. Um, no, so when I say avoidance, but it's just we get a lot of people out there and get a lot of weird. And it's funny because it's not just it's, – it's both sides. Because on one side, we get people on our side who get a little gung-ho. Well, I can't blame them because, you know, it's like we're, we're heading back into the 1970s with the societal decay and the the crime and criminals getting let out for free. You know, when the movie Death Wish kind of captured the cultural zeitgeist of people just being sick and tired of this. I get it. I understand. But on this other side, we have on the the other side, where I talk about in the book about this, but we have guys like Joe Biden uh, at a Martin Luther King Day event just uh, a couple weeks ago talking about how he's going to, you know, your AR-15 is useless against the government because we have F-15s. Yeah. And and it's like, okay, well, first off, the, the tone deafness of this is that Martin Luther King is a guy who had his Second Amendment rights denied by the government. The, the government said no. no. He wanted a concealed weapons permit. They said, no, you can't have one. And and so that's ironic. And then the other part of this is this is a guy who fought for peaceful resolutions to problems in society. And, and so you're going to go on a memorial event and say, to solve the, the to unpeacefully solve the problems of society, I'm going to kill you with fighter jets. And it's just, it's, yeah. it's madness. There is a section in the book that deals with this exact uh, topic, right? This sort of argument. You, you also point out that Swalwell, Eric Swalwell, the, the congressman from California, a Democrat, he had, he had talked along the same lines. You know, it's one of these common refrains that you get to sort of the core philosophical idea of the second amendment which is that you can uh an armed populace is harder to oppress and that you could uh, throw off a tyrant with an armed populace that's the core of what the second amendment is about certainly you talk about that in the book but uh but the common retort to this is the government's too powerful now mm-hmm. it would just nuke you or use f-15s as, as the president says and it's it, it always strikes me as such a uh, disturbing and odd uh you know argument to make for exactly the reasons you outline in the book which it's- is like you're saying that uh, one. You're saying that the government would use nukes or fighter jets or whatever against American citizens, if you know. And um, and this is like a positive argument that you're making. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Would you want to live under a government that does that? Well, that's like, supposed to make I don't me understand want it. to give them my guns. <laughs> right, and it's sort of this. It's also like a wildly fatalistic view, too. Yeah. Like. If tyranny is going to happen, there's nothing you can do about it anyway, and you shouldn't even bother trying. Well, and it's a really, sort of the other hand, logistically it. and historically speaking, a really right. dumb idea. And uh, right, that for that well. chapter, I put my military contractor uh, hat back on because yeah. it's like one of the things that I used to work on was maintaining some of those. Some of the contracts I was on over the years was maintaining those various advanced weapon systems and keeping the wings from falling off of them. And I go into the, you know, like, who do you think flies these things? Who do you think uses them? And also the only thing separating them from the people you expect to bomb with them is a chain link fence. Uh, I mean, literally in some cases. And so there's there's a very flippant thing that like a lot of people on the other side think they could throw that out there like it's a threat. Um, that, that It's just magic. Like, you know, I have nukes, so I win. 
no, you, 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 if you nuke me, your voters live within the blast radius. I mean, I don't, right. there's not really a, and, and, and for historical yeah. examples, like going to Vietnam, Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, the beginning of the Ukraine, Ukraine. war, yeah. um, it's just basically what they're advocating for is insane and uh, ridiculous. But, but I do get into the real meaning of the Second Amendment. It's there for this reason. It's, it's, it's the big red button is what I call it in the book and on the Constitution. It's the, it's the thing. It's a switch we don't want to flip, but we need it. We have to have that insurance policy. Otherwise, you know, because if the American government ever goes full 100 percent boot on your neck tyrant, uh, God help us all, because it yeah. is truly a very powerful force. You know, and the other thing I liked about that passage of the book, too, is that you were you weren't saying that we're there. Right. Because <laughs> a lot oh, of no. times you'll get rhetoric that, oh, tomorrow is the day we need to throw off the government. Things are too far gone. And it's like, no, that's not what the founders believed. They didn't think every every uh, you know minor obstacle that we run into, we need to immediately overthrow the government in a violent revolution. This, like you described, is a absolute last resort sort of thing. Yep. Um, and. You know, so it's not a, oh, well, I lost an election or a judge ruled the wrong way this time. You know, this is something that's way down the line when you have no recourse as as a people. You have no uh, effect on your government. You know, you have an actual tyrannical uh, king in the case of the uh, the colonists and the, you know, the American Revolution. That's the sort of uh, time where that they're talking about. And it's not tomorrow. It's not. Uh, you know, my my neighbor said something mean about me, so it's time for for me to get my musket, kind of. Thing. You know, what I mean, yeah. like, and you're and you're very clear about that uh, in the book as well. So well, yeah, again, it gets you sort of like this the real Larry versus Straw Larry sort of. Situation. Yeah, Straw Larry, Straw Larry's already out there burning stuff, um, <laughs> flipping cars over. No, but it's like um, I, I do specifically in the book. I talk about the old thing about you know the four boxes of liberty. Um, you know, the 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 ballot box. Soapbox, jury box, cartridge box. Use them in that order, right? Mm-hmm. Well, right now, if you look around in the world, and I go into this in the book a lot, especially because I wrote this in the immediate aftermath of the Bruin decision, um, we're still at the um, we're still at the jury box level on this on a lot of issues. And I also try to get we got a lot of people on our side who get black pilled doom, you know, like 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 we're we've already lost, it's hopeless. You know, I don't buy into that because. I started doing this 30 years ago. And when we got into this 30 years ago, we had Bill Clinton, the assault weapons ban. We all thought we were within five years of losing our Second Amendment rights forever, totally. Um, we were ostracized. We were seen as weird. Culturally, we we had stagnated and become insular. And what do I, what do I see now 30 years later? I see 20, 25 states, almost going to be 26 if Florida pulls this off constitutional carry states. When I was young, it was one. Um, it was, and uh, shall issue uh, um, CCW was like seven or eight states, and now it's all of them. Well, I mean, obviously we have seven holdouts are fighting in court, but once again, we're back in court. Um, the culture is growing. Gun sales are through the roof because every time there's been a bad thing, like 2020 was shattered gun sale records because Regular people who were on the, the, the fence sitters I was talking about all of a sudden looked around and said, oh, wow, I'm on my own. No one's coming to save me. I'm it. And they went to their local store and they're like, give me whatever you got. And it wasn't our people buying these guns in 2020. We already got ours. We don't pay scalpers prices. I don't pay MSRP. <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> Never pay MSRP. No, no one. I mean, who does that? 
But <laughs> so looking at this, we're we are culturally winning. Uh, legally, we are making huge gains. And we have some setbacks. Like right now, we have the, the ATF brace ban. Uh, 120 days just kicked in, right? And I, you know, I, I have to decide what am I going to do. I have a stack of these things because you know, and I'm not alone. And there's they estimate 40 million of them in circulation. Uh, the ATF just said, hey, comply or you're felons. And so that's going to court. I mean, I've already saw this morning. I was looking at the FPC lawsuit that just barely uh, got filed. I don't know yep. any details yet. I know SAF, GOA, ILA, they're all suing too. Mm-hmm. And and what's going to happen in the next 120 days? I can't say. I don't know. Uh, I can't, they have a pretty I good shot, though, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I hopefully, hopefully we continue winning at the court level. But the thing people need to remind, remember is courts take time. And if you look at like uh, the bump stock ban, we recently just got to stop on the bump stock ban. Well, what did that take, four years? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, but this is the real thing is who's going to get victimized and rolled up uh, in federal gun control violations in the meantime. And that's, the, that's the tragic part. Yeah, certainly there's uh, there's plenty of uh, uh, ongoing controversies that still exist. It's uh, not a perfect utopia for gun owners uh, at this point. But, but yeah, I think it's a very valid point. And you do talk about this in the book as well, that there has been a lot of progress if you're a gun rights advocate uh, over the last 30 years. And um, yeah, there's no reason to think that that will stop suddenly now. Um, and, uh, you know, and you talk about getting people involved, you know, that's sort of the next step after, you know, buying, buying guns, you know, you can find ways to get involved in the, the effort to expand gun rights in America. Um, and, you know, there's all sorts of different ways about that. That was another thing I, I enjoyed about the book is like, again, this is sort of that, uh, there's the stereotype of what people might think of, uh, you know, a gun night book is going to be like, and then there's what your book is actually like. Uh, and you talk about, you know, the, uh, the grandfather takes their, their, uh, you know, their granddaughter shooting for the first time and helps, uh, you know, ingrain that, that culture into, uh, their, their family members is doing just as much for, uh, improving gun rights in the country as, uh, you know, somebody who's knocking on their, their congressman's door or what have you. Yep. It's one of those things that like, honestly, this is a battle of the culture war and it's become a, become a thing that a lot of people hate guns and hate gun culture just because they're supposed to, it's a religious thing. And how do you overcome that is just teaching people, helping people, uh, help your neighbors, help your friends, teach your kids, teach other people's kids Get them to the range. Show them that this stuff is not crazy, wacky, all the stuff you're showing on the news. Um, <clears throat> you know, I like I like to take – when I built my house uh, where I live now, the very first thing I did before I built the house was build a range. I pushed up berms. And what was the very first thing I did with my new neighbors? I was actually a church youth activity where I put on a little like three-hour pistol clinic for a bunch of the local teenagers. You know, nice. just gotta, you gotta keep teaching them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, look, uh, I'd love to have you stay on for another hour here, but I know that you're very busy. Um, and so I, I want to thank you for being on and, and give you an opportunity here to tell people where they can find the latest book and also some of your other work. Um, 
Okay, so my book is available. Uh, it's in defense of the Second Amendment. It's available everywhere bookstores. Uh, sorry, every, everywhere in all bookstores. It's Barnes and Noble, Amazon.com. If you like auto audio books, you can get it on Audible um, from Blackstone. And so uh, check it out. I hope you like it. If you like it, please leave an honest review. And you have uh, you have any other books coming up? I do actually. Um, my next book is actually uh, the fourth book in my epic fantasy series called Tower of Silence uh, from Bayon Books. That'll be out in April. Um, that's kind of a really cool fantasy world with a kind of mythological India. It's, mm. it's pretty, it's pretty badass. Nice. You, I imagine <laughs> there's gun stuff in there too, maybe? Uh, matchlocks actually. They're at Ooh. the, uh, they're at the, the early muzzle loader level of firearms in this, in well, this, uh, setting. That's pretty cool. And, and knowing, uh, how your other books have gone, I imagine the, the detail in there will, will also be very engaging on that on the firearms uh, front. So. It, it is actually pretty fun to write an epic fantasy with uh, with black powder. It, it's pretty nice. cool. All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. And hopefully we can have you back on again in the future as well. Oh, I, I appreciate it. Thanks, Stephen. All right. It's time for the news update. I'm contributing writer Jake Fogelman, joined, of course, by Reload founder Steve Gutowski. How are you this week? I'm doing great, Jake. Uh, I see the, the shirt. Eagles are, are going to the Super Bowl. Yes, there's the shirt. Uh, no one likes us. We don't care. But <laughs> uh, I'm yeah, pretty good mood. We got uh, one week left here. I think we'll we'll have one more podcast that we film before the Super Bowl actually happens. But uh, only the members will actually have listened to it by the time because it'll come out on Sunday, on Super Bowl Sunday, and. Um, yeah, pretty great. If anyone has free tickets to the Super Bowl that are just lying around that they want to get rid of, I will take them. <laughs> um, I don't know how much of a chance there is for that, but I'm I'm down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very very good week leading up to this. Uh, enjoying the the NFC Championship win and looking forward to the next Super Bowl here with uh, the MVP of the league. In at quarterback and uh, an unstoppable pass rush and uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty excited about it. I, Patrick Mahomes is uh, something else, something totally unique. So obviously worried, but about him. But but I'm pretty confident in how the Eagles are shaping up and uh, hoping to climb some poles uh, next there you Sunday go. here. Yeah. We'll see you out in a, a mob of people out on Broad Street. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if we win, I'll be there. I yeah. promise. I was there last time. I climbed up uh, Broad and Pine, the the light pole there. It was. I hurt myself a little bit, but it was worth it. it was That's right. Definitely for, worth for, it. For the birds. <laughs> yeah, go birds. Right. But anyways, getting to the, uh, the the news this week, we have a, a pretty pretty big ruling out of the Fifth Circuit. We this one's, I think, going to be pretty controversial for the foreseeable future because mm -hmm. the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals just struck down uh, the federal prohibition on people subject to domestic violence restraining orders from being prohibited from owning guns. Uh, if you want to tell us a little bit about what went into that decision. Yeah, so there was a three-judge panel in the Fifth Circuit that ruled unanimously against this federal law that bars people under a domestic violence restraining order from possessing firearms. Um, and they found that it was unconstitutional under the Bruin standard. They 
said that the government didn't provide uh, any historical analogs that were uh, similar enough to the modern prohibition that they could stand under the Second Amendment. So this is obviously a fairly significant ruling. Uh, it's the first time we've seen an appellate court rule on uh, this prohibition uh, since the Bruin case happened. And uh, I think it's going to have some very, um, very, it's going to lead very quickly, I think, to Supreme Court review. review. That's my guess. It's sort of fast tracked now for the Supreme Court to take up uh, because it's very likely that the government will appeal this decision. Uh, similar to we when we talked about the bump stock ban being overturned in the Fifth Circuit as well, that that the bump stock ban ruling was an en banc ruling. It's the full Fifth Circuit court. This is just a three-judge panel. You still have the option of going to the full Fifth Circuit court uh, to hear this case on appeal uh, or you go straight to the Supreme Court, I believe, um, if the government wants to. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's obviously one of the thornier questions, I think, that has been raised thus far. Um, gun rights groups were not involved in this case. Neither were the gun control groups. This was a criminal case where somebody who was charged and actually convicted of violating this law uh, appealed that conviction under the, you know, the, the Bruin standard. And, um, and this was the result of that appeal. Um, there was actually the Fifth Circuit <clears throat> reversing themselves. They had previously upheld this prohibition under the older standard of review that had become popular between Heller and Bruin, where you had this sort of two-step balancing test. Um, and the Fifth Circuit had, had upheld the domestic violence uh, restraining order prohibition under that test previously, but now they've correctly uh, determined that they can't use balancing anymore. They can't balance the interests of uh, you know public safety against the Second Amendment right. So now they have to use this history and tradition standard to evaluate these sorts of cases. And at least according to this Fifth Circuit panel, that prohibition doesn't survive. Yeah, no, and this is just sort of the latest that we've seen, I think, uh, sort of the, the less appreciated uh, ramification of Bruin, I think most folks uh, would, would, yeah, would consider. Uh, a lot of gun control and gun rights advocates obviously thought of policies like assault weapons bans and concealed carry bans were going to be the things that were going to be uh, overturned after Bruin came down. But, you know, sh shortly after that decision handed down, I wrote a member's piece talking about how you know, criminal justice advocates and federal public defenders were starting to use this law to yeah. overturn convictions. And it's just gone crazy, I think, in the, in the time since that's uh, come down. And this is just the latest example of that. Yeah, there's been a lot of crazy in the sense that it's been very busy. Yeah, right. But there's right. been a lot of these a lot of these decisions out of the criminal side of things, because which makes sense. Right. I mean, obviously, the gun rights groups have their strategic plans that they're going after certain laws that they uh, find highly objectionable, and they're pursuing those cases. Uh, but at the same time, you have the entire criminal justice system that is is uh, where these defendants and their lawyers are acting independently uh, using the same standard. And so, you know, we, we get focused on a lot, I think, in political media 
uh, on the first part of it, right, on these sort of organized efforts to right. uh, to go after different gun restrictions. But there's sort of this unwe- – it's, it's much harder to follow the other stuff because it's uh, individuals. Um, and so you, a lot of times you don't hear about it until a ruling gets handed down like this, and it can be a very – impactful ruling. I think this is probably going to be a a case where the court is less, It's the outcome is much less certain uh, if it is to reach the Supreme Court. Now, first, I want, you know, I, I said this is a fast track, probably, right? Because the court oftentimes will take up appeals by the government um, when it deals with federal law like this, because you don't necessarily want a situation where federal law only applies in certain parts of the country, right? And so that's what's happening right now with this Fifth Circuit ruling. Uh, in the Fifth Circuit, which covers Texas and Louisiana, the federal government can't uh, practically apply this this prohibition, but they can in every other circuit right now because uh, nowhere else has, has seen this sort of ruling yet. Um, so oftentimes, though, the Supreme Court has a lot of deference in to you know, to the government in taking up these sorts of appeals. That's why I think it could happen quickly. However, it is also possible that because there isn't actually a circuit split yet um, under the Bruin standard, there's a circuit split in the sense that the Fifth Circuit now has different position on this prohibition than every other circuit. But that's only because every other circuit hasn't heard a case like this under the Bruin standard. And so the court may want to wait for um, the other circuits to weigh in first and see how they handle this, this question, because it, uh, you know, it, it is going to be an interesting question. I think the, the history analysis in this case was uh, closer than on, in a lot of other cases that you've seen. You know, a lot of the federal judges that have upheld various gun restrictions to this point have done so less on the actual finding of a solid historical analog and more on, you know, tr- the argument that s- some part of the uh, what's being foreclosed by the law is just not protected by the second amendment. You see this, uh, Oregon, uh, even though the state court there blocked the, the new gun control law that was passed by ballot initiative, the federal judge was prepared to let that go into effect in essence, because she ruled that magazine, for instance, the magazine ban that they they're putting in place. She ruled that magazines aren't protected by the core uh, uh, of the second amendment. Like they're not arms. It was her, one of her reasonings. Um, and so that, that's been a common way of, of trying to uphold these various gun laws under Bruin. Uh, but in this case, they went through the historical analysis and they, they determined a couple interesting things. And I think that they were, uh, much closer to finding a historical analog than in a lot of other cases. Um, first off, they, they looked at a couple of things. The government offered up a couple different historical gun regulations as potential analogs. There was, uh, you know, dangerous people prohibitions, the sort of stuff we've talked about before on this channel that include, uh, of course, bigoted laws against, um, African-Americans and 
Native Americans, you know, just sort of total gun bans for them altogether. Uh, but also there, there were bans for people who wouldn't take pledges of allegiance or um, uh, people that were, and then they went sort of further back to into English history where, where uh, you know, people could be disarmed if, the, if they were thought to be, you know, um, a danger to the crown or to the people or what, what have you. And, um, and so they started with that. Then there was the uh, prohibitions on going armed to the terror of the people was another one that they cited. Um, and then, of course, uh, they brought up surety laws, which required um, people who were accused of being dangerous in a civil proceeding to post sort of bond or surety if they wanted to carry their guns in public uh, to sort of ensure against them causing problems was the idea. And those laws were fairly common uh, at the founding era. And uh, of course the court rejected all these comparisons mainly for two reasons. One was uh, they didn't fit the, the uh, purpose of the domestic violence restraining order prohibition. So that, you know, the purpose of that is to protect a, uh, to um, keep somebody who has been identified a potential threat to another individual from causing harm to that person. And that's not what any of these other laws had done, um, or at least not the, <clears throat> the dangerousness law, the you know, sort of dangerous groups of pe people, those were aimed at groups um, that were considered to be dangerous, whether for bigoted reasons or otherwise. And then um, <clears throat> the, to go care, you know, to go to the terror of the people, being armed to the terror of the people was, was uh, something that required a conviction and also um, was meant to protect the general peace, not specific people again. That was another thing the court pointed out as a difference. Uh, and of course, the surety laws were much closer than the other two, according to this, to this Fifth Circuit panel. But even there, the, the main problem was, uh, even though these were civil proceedings for both in both situations, and not criminal proceedings, they don't require convictions. The surety laws only required that somebody post a, a bond, basically post a, uh, a surety to carry their guns in public, whereas the domestic violence, mis um, sorry, domestic violence uh, restraining order prohibition takes the person's guns away altogether and bans them from possessing them. So <clears throat> there were a lot of uh, closer calls, I think, in this case than in some of the other ones, if that makes sense. Right. And I think that's going to be interesting if and when the Supreme Court decides to take this issue up is that I think it'll cause maybe the first real stress test of the new Bruin standard, because as we've seen in previous Supreme Court decisions on the Second Amendment, notably Heller, uh, the dicta that the court has offered up seems to suggest that they're they just seem to believe automatically that certain dangerous people are are allowed to be prohibited from owning guns. But it's never really been put to this Bruin test and if they decide to take this case, it'll be the first time that they really have to kind of square that circle then to say, to show how this does fit, in fact fit, or maybe the dicta that they previously offered up was wrong. You know, we, we don't know yet. Yeah, I think that's the other big point here, which is that the Supreme Court 
gave down this standard in Bruin that would seem to implicate a lot of laws that the Supreme Court itself has indicated they think are constitutional. For instance, like you mentioned there, um, bans on machine gun uh, sales or ownership. Um, you know, new sales of machine guns are illegal in the United States now. And <clears throat> that's from a law that was created in 1934. It's not an old law. It doesn't go back to the founding era. Uh, and it's unlikely that there you could find a historical analog for that law. <clears throat> and yet the Supreme Court has implied that it's constitutional in Heller, at least in dicta, which means in writings that aren't uh, to the core of the holding. And same thing with felon in possession laws. They've said that those are presumptively constitutional, at least, at least they've said that Heller doesn't implicate them uh, directly. And, you know, there, there, this is another one where, you know, there's, there's at least an argument to be had about what the historical justification for those laws are, which again, the, that comes from the Gun Control Act of 1968, which is again, not, <clears throat> not a historical law. And, you know, there, there's all sorts of things like that. And same thing, even in Bruin, there was concurrence from Roberts and Kavanaugh that talked about how they uh, view shall issue gun carry permits as uh, constitutional, as presumptively constitutional. And it's the same thing there. Like, where are the, where's any sort of permitting to carry a gun during the, the founding era? I don't think that it existed at all. And so you have what the Supreme Court has handed down in their standard in Bruin. And then you have what the Supreme Court seems willing to actually do and they may be two different things. We don't know that, you know, that's, that's the thing about second amendment jurisprudence at the Supreme court. It's very limited, even still, you know, they only had a handful of cases, four or five cases, really. Uh, if you count Miller, uh, which, which they do use in Heller as a basis. So, uh, you know, that's what four cases with say, with Satano, right. That directly deal with the second amendment. And, you know, you got, Miller, Heller, uh, McDonald, Saitano, and Bruins at five. And, you know, how many First Amendment cases are there? <laughs> you know, dozens and dozens and dozens, hundreds probably. And so um, there's still a lot to be learned about what this court is going to do with these sort of controversial rulings, these controversial situations. Because to this point, as we've talked about before on the show, They've really only gone after things that are that are wild, really wildly popular. So Heller is about handgun ownership. You can't ban all, you can't, you can't ban handguns, which is a position that the general public was way ahead of the Supreme Court on. Uh, and then Bruin is about how you can't ban gun carry uh, or effectively ban it which again was something the general public was way ahead of the Supreme court on because there were only eight States that had a ban on or had like a, an effective ban. It had may issue laws uh, by the time the Supreme court got around to Bruin. So things like domestic violence, restraining orders leading to prohibition, probably a lot more popular than both of those previous tests, right? Uh, those previous laws. And 
that's where you start to wonder what the court is actually going to do in that situation. Now, I will say that the lower court in the Fifth Circuit, they seem to have, you know, one of the key issues in this case seemed to be that it was a restraining order that can be granted through civil proceedings and not through criminal convictions where people are afforded more protections for their rights and the standard of evidence is higher. So maybe the Supreme Court also views that distinction as important in this role. Um, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see, you know, at this point. I don't know that we'll have to wait very long, but we will have to wait. So <laughs> uh, I think that's all we've got for this week. But we appreciate you guys sticking through and listening to the show. And if you want to help us grow, you can like and share on on YouTube, on your favorite podcasting app, you can leave us a review. That's always helpful as well. Uh, and you can also head over to thereload.com and pick up a membership today if you want to help support us, because that is how we do this whole thing. That is where our revenue comes from, directly from members. Uh, we are an independent publication. We're not owned by any billionaires or giant corporations or what have you. We rely on our memberships uh, for funding, for operation. We wouldn't exist at all without our members. And of course, if you are a member, you get exclusive access to hundreds of pieces of analysis and reporting that you won't find anywhere else. And you also get this podcast a day early and the opportunity to appear on the show. We'd love to have another member segment here soon. So if you want to do that, just reply to your Sunday members newsletter and let us know that you want to come on. We'll, we'll make it happen. Uh, until then, go birds, and we will see you next week. Bye.